Our first lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah. The prophet is offering a word of invitation and hope that everyone will have access to food and drink, no matter their worthiness or ability to pay. That God's word is near and it brings them life and that God's covenant through David will never end. The passage closes as it began with an urgent invitation to return to our merciful God. Listen to God's word as it comes to us in Isaiah chapter 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel according to Luke, the 13th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen again to God's word for us. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because the Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and he found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've been looking for fruit on this fig tree and still I find none, so cut it down. Why should I be wasting this soil? But the gardener replied, sir, let it alone one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it, and if it bears fruit next year, well and good. 
But if not, then you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, open our hearts to the word you would have us hear this day. Open our lives to the fruit that you would have us bear. And may all God's people say, amen. I'm sure I've told this story before, but it's still one of my favorites. It was the summer of 1996, and our family had just moved to the western suburbs of Chicago, where I served in a new pastorate. Our daughter Annie had just turned five. She was about to start kindergarten. And one Sunday morning, as we were walking home from church, John and I asked her how Sunday school went. She got very huffy, put her hands on her hips and said, Jesus, 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 all we talked about was Jesus. When do we get to do some math? <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> this memory flew into my mind when I was reading Reverend Kim Court's lectionary study in the Christian century. The mother of young children herself, she begins her commentary on the gospel passage this way. It never ceases to amaze me the way kids keep an internal ledger when it comes to who did what and how we responded and who lost screen time or who got more or did or did not do their chores or their worksheets, somehow they are meticulous at keeping track of perceived slights. Why am only I getting punished? He did it too. I often wonder, she says, about this vigilance toward keeping the scales balanced. Is it really about fairness? Could it also be a need for explanation, for order, for simply making sense of the world? Kids, I would add, of course, are not the only ones who keep track of the ledgers of punishment and reward, justice and fairness. The Old Testament law proclaims Show no pity, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Such punishment is outlined for the sake of fairness as well as a warning to others not to do those harms lest they too be punished. But the problem the problem, of course, is that fairness is often illusory and remote. Now, please know that I'm deeply grateful that we live in a country that carefully articulates the law. There are many places that don't. And I am deeply grateful for those in our church family who practice law and those who have sat as judges 
I do not envy them the difficult decisions that they must make. But even, even when justice is fairly served, life is rarely fair. Jesus offers two examples in the gospel lesson that we heard today. First, there were the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. Pilate, the governor of Judea, was known for brutal reprisals and disdain for religious practices. And it is doubtful that these Galileans deserved their fate. Then there were those who suffered the calamity of the fall of the Tower of Siloam when 18 people were killed, whether by accident or intention, we don't know, but we can trust that they were likely not deserving of their suffering. They weren't worse sinners than anyone else anymore than the pregnant mother who was killed in Ukraine when the maternity hospital was bombed. It is difficult and painful to see the unfairness of life. How a good and righteous God can let a good person suffer, what theologians call theodicy can shake our faith to the core. Kim Court again poignantly says, we want there to be a reason for human suffering. A moment we can pinpoint where a person's life went off the rails. We cling to the idea that suffering is punishment for sin. We want an explanation of the world, a way to understand its system and logic. And Jesus, in this passage, Jesus seems to engage these two tragedies as a way to address the problem of the persistent internal ledger that asks, is this really how the world works? that expects a clear one-to-one -one correspondence of what happens to people. I know she's right. There are many of us who perhaps ourselves have suffered or our loved ones have suffered or simply have our heartbreaks at strangers who are enduring more cruelty than we can begin to imagine. But the reality is that there is no clear correspondence and Jesus doesn't try to come up with some magic answer. If anything, he makes it clear that if we judge those who died as somehow deserving, then we are no different. The only advice he offers us is this, repent, repent.
turn around. Come to your senses about what really matters and open your heart to the absurd, illogical forbearance of God's grace. Isn't this the lesson of Jesus' parable? It seems like such a strange shift he makes after talking about that suffering to go to the parable of the fig tree. But it is connected, like the owner of a fig tree that bears no fruit year after year after year. Why would God put up with people who bear no fruit? Why would God keep caring for all of us who year after year give no sign that we're ready to embody Jesus' call to justice or shed our cynicism or our greed or recognize that our lives have become unmanageable, that the world has become unmanageable it would make all the sense in the world for God to give up on us, to cut us down, to let us go instead of wasting soil, wasting time, wasting love. But God isn't like that. Instead, Jesus tells us God is not merely the owner of the fig tree who is concerned only about profit and loss statements, who watches the ledger with an eagle eye. Instead, God is the gardener, the gardener who cares more about the welfare of the tree than its cost-benefit, than its yield. And isn't this what Jesus tells us again and again and again in his stories? God is like the shepherd of a hundred sheep who goes out to find the one that strayed. God is like the woman who has 10 silver coins but losing one lights a lamp and sweeps the house until she finds it. God is like the father of the prodigal son who on his return doesn't even wait for an apology, but welcomes him home, runs to him with open arms. God knows we cannot earn our worth. We cannot earn our worth, but that's not what God wants from us anyway. What God wants more than anything else is for us to be our truest selves, for us to come to our senses and be our truest selves, for us to bear the fruit that comes from love and grace, and mercy. Because 
think what Jesus wants us to know more than anything else is this. This is the ledger sheet that God uses. This is the map that Jesus brings. In the Excel spreadsheet of heaven, all of our sins are listed from the hideously cruel and expensive to those that are merely annoying. And then God adds this formula. God multiplies our sins by zero and sets us free again to live. Amen.